0: Welcome to A Public Affair on KGNU. I'm Shannon Young. Today, we will spend the hour with a panel of Colorado-based reproductive rights experts to examine the two contradictory legal rulings on Mifepristone issued on Friday afternoon and how they may shape the future of access to medication abortion nationwide. I have three guests today. In the studio is Jessica Mason-Piclo, executive editor of Rewire News Group and co-host of the Boom Lawyered podcast. Joining me from Denver are two guests, Aurea Bolaños-Perea of the Colorado Organization for Latina Opportunity and Reproductive Rights, also known as Color Latina, and Karen Middleton, president of Cobalt Advocates. Good morning to you all, and thanks for making time for KGNU. Good morning. Thanks so much for having us. Indeed. So uh, I'm also in the studio with me is newsroom intern Alyssa Palazzo, who I wanted to include in this conversation as well as somebody who is a young woman and young women are likely to feel the effects hardest of these rulings and the implications from them. So let's start. Oh, before I jump into the questions, I want to mention we will be taking audience questions. The email is DJ at KGNU dot And the number is 303-442-4242. Jessica, you are an attorney. <laughs>
1: Make it make sense for us. (laughs) I wish I could. Um, We are, quite honestly, in uncharted waters here, uh, legally speaking, for a lot of reasons. Um, As you mentioned in the upfront, we, late Friday, had two different orders from two different federal district courts in two different parts of the country, all addressing the issue of whether or not the FDA can and or should pull approval of mifepristone, which is one of two medications currently used in a medication abortion protocol in this uh, country. There was the first decision that dropped, which was out of the Northern District of Texas in Amarillo, Judge Matt Kosmarek, and he issued a sweeping ruling uh, purporting to tell the FDA to pull mifepristone about an hour later, we got a competing order out from Washington that told the FDA um, to stand down and to maintain the status quo. Uh, The Washington order is narrower. It applies to the states in the District of Columbia, which are part of that lawsuit, and we can talk about what that lawsuit um, is trying to do in a minute. The lawsuit out of Texas, however, um, tries to apply an injunction nationwide. So right now, that's really sort of the meat of the matter is this fight between an order out of uh, Washington that tells the FDA to maintain the status quo, do nothing with mifepristone and uh, medication abortion protocols, and a radically, wildly different order out of Texas. The Texas uh, order has already been appealed by the Biden administration. There is a flurry of briefing that has happened, um, including uh, pharmaceutical companies coming in and Really, sounding the alarm because while we're going to spend a lot of time talking about abortion on this panel, uh, what I want callers to understand is that the ruling out of Texas is much bigger than Mifepristone. It really threatens the ability of the FDA to uh, safely approve medication and for the medical uh, profession to understand what that approval means. So this is something that could have implications for vaccines Mm -hmm. uh, for. For a wide variety of hormonal treatments and functionally any kind of health care that religious conservatives feel they have a right to launch a religious objection to.
0: I want to bring Karen Middleton of Cobalt into this. As somebody with legislative experience, What what are the implications of a single judge being able to overturn rights that have been in effect? Or, or or what are the possibilities of being a counterweight to that from the legislative arm?
2: Well, the first thing I'm going to say is that I always thought about going to law school, but this is not a legal question. This is politics. And the reason that these court cases were brought to these judges in this time frame, in the first case, it is an attempt to bypass Um, all of the states that are working to protect uh, reproductive rights and abortion rights. And in the case of Washington, it was our best move from the reproductive rights side to really lean in and say not so fast. You know, legislatively, um, here in Colorado, for example, we are getting ready to see our governor sign three pieces of legislation that protect and expand access to abortion rights in a few different ways. Um, But at the end, and I can share more about those. But at the end of the day, I think it's just really important for listeners to know that this is all about politics. And this is all about gamesmanship. And, um, you know, and it is a vocal minority across the country, and the numbers bear that up, that will continue to try to really prick scheme or maneuver folks into losing access to abortion. And that's really probably the most devastating thing is that there's not been a break or a pause in the action.
0: I want to go back to something that you just mentioned about these legislative protections for abortion or for access to abortion and contraception. And how has there ever been a a fight where you're facing off between, for example, Colorado saying it is a legal right. We are enshrining it in state law. Access to contraception and abortion, and then the federal government coming in and saying, "No, actually, you can't have access to that." Like, I'm just wondering, like, where where does the rubber meet the road in those in those fights when it's legal at a state level but questionable at a federal level?
2: Jessica can give us more of the legal answer. I will tell you that <laughs> you know the political answer is that in the almost 10 years I've been leading this organization, we have watched. First at the federal level through the courts and now in states across the country, folks trying to chip away. In fact, prior to Trump being elected, there was a whole national organization uh, on the anti-abortion side that was scheming to sort of trim abortion access in little fits and starts. And we used to have a Supreme Court that would block that. Whole Women's Health is an excellent example of that, where there were targeted Uh, There were trap laws um, basically targeting how abortion clinics, how wide their halls were. Uh, And that has really moved now to let's shave off one of the medications that are part of a two medication best practice. And oh, by the way, we all know that you can use misoprostol only for medication abortions. But guess what? It's slightly better, easier and more comfortable if you are using both. So let's go after one. Let's make the other one look not so good. And then let's see what we can do next. And so I, I do think I still feel like this is a bad chess game. And we have had um, the you know, the at the federal level, they've really been using the courts. It was how many Supreme Court cases can we get heard that will trim or eliminate abortion rights until they found their winner. And at the state level, the uh, states have been doing the same thing. And all of those laws were invalid until the Supreme Court switched. So I do think it's been it's been more political than policy. And I think what we're doing in Colorado is trying to fight with real authentic policies that will try to uh, protect patients. Providers will try to keep people from being deceived, will expand access to insurance. And we take a really firm stand on gender affirming care, which is also really important.
0: I want to bring in Aurea bolanos Perea into the discussion as well from Color Latina. The organization is the Colorado Organization for Latina Opportunity and Reproductive Rights. What is the link between opportunity and reproductive rights and how have you seen them affected with the laws that have just come into effect or the court rulings that have come into action just in the last year alone?
3: So Color being one of the only Latina-led reproductive justice organizations in the state means that we focus on proactive solutions that keep in mind that not a single person in the state lives a single issue life. You're not just a person that gets pregnant. You're not just a person that wants access to birth control. You're a person that wants access to all forms of health care. You're a person that is an immigrant, that is young, that is transgender, that is old, right? And we come into this conversation Censuring those that are most marginalized in these environments when there are obstacles politics policy being placed that further stigmatize and shame people like ourselves people of color uh young women uh, that are seeking to be their full authentic selves and you know, what we're seeing in the past year, you know, thankfully with cobalt, when we co-led the Reproductive Health Equity Act, we were very intentional to center those people that were gonna be more marginalized by the decision from the courts, because we knew that was coming. We knew that Roe was getting overturned. And Latinos, people of color, indigenous people, we've been signing, sounding the alarm for years because we have existed in a country without access to abortion. So I remember that when, uh, row got overturned, one of the first reporters that called me asked me, you know, how is the Latino community coming into terms with this new decision? And I said, yeah, y'all are now going to feel what it's been like for us, right? Like, just because things had been legal, didn't mean it they were accessible to the people that needed the most. And now with this um Pristone case, again, it is almost like looking in the mirror, it's like, we've been telling you that that this has not been enough for people like us. And because none of our community members live single issue lives, it's not just about reproductive health care. It's about taking time off. It's about childcare off like services. It's about not having documentation that allows you to further expand your self-determination. So we're at the crossroads where it's unfortunate that something so dire has to happen. In order to humanize the experiences of people ha- that have been marginalized for decades and in, in states where abortion is legal, mm-hmm. right? Just because again, just because it's legal doesn't mean it's been accessible. And now we're in this fight trying to figure out what access looks like for all people
0: An emphasis on the all. Alyssa Palazzo, uh, I want to get your perspective as well as a a young person. You're still in college. What have been some of the the discussions and the reactions that have uh, occurred in recent months among young women who are in their early 20s?
4: Yes. So I remember when Roe v. Wade was overturned. I was actually abroad for the summer. And we just all sat in silence for 10 minutes, all me and my girlfriends just you know, it's very upsetting to see something like that, that we've worked so hard um, for to just go away so quickly. And especially, I mean, with this new case, with this new pill that is not gonna be accessible anymore uh, it's a very scary thing and um, I'm in a sorority and we actually for our philanthropy this semester chose to support the cobalt fund um, which was the majority of the vote which goes to show how many young women feel passionately about this and feel you know scared um, about you know these changes in the inaccessibility that we're facing so
0: Karen Middleton talk about the cobalt fund what what does the cobalt fund do
2: sure. Um, The Cobalt Abortion Fund uh, is a a fund that provides direct support for um, anyone who needs access to pay for an abortion. And the fund started with the First Universalist Church all the way back in 1984. Uh, We partnered with uh, the original Freedom Fund and brought them in and grew the fund. And last year we just about doubled how much we had to spend on abortion care and close to 70 percent of those patients were coming from texas uh, so last year we spent about four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. the year before it was more like 250 um, but right alongside that we have a practical support fund which didn't really exist prior to uh, the senate bill eight in texas which was uh, the first real restriction before dobbs that shut down access to abortion care in states and in 2021, we spent about $6,000 on practical support. And that's everything, as Aria mentioned, from childcare, care, uh, Venmoing money to get a bus, uh, plane fare, hotels, meals, anything that someone needs to actually get to the care they need. And uh, after really a majority spent after jobs, we spent about $221,000 last year. And one of the unique features of our funds is that of what is donated goes to the care, and we've made a commitment. There is no ceiling. We have not turned anybody away who we've received a request from, and we will not set a budget and just sort of say no more. Um, So we're uh, really working to meet the needs, and we're seeing very increased needs, especially from out of state, and many more people who need help to understand how to travel. Uh, People are coming from all over the country some who have never left their state before. And, that's, um, and having uh, grassroots support, uh, uh, as you've described, has been so powerful and so meaningful. And it also helps people who are feeling helpless feel like they're doing something. And this is a really real way that folks have been able to help.
0: I want to remind listeners that our guests today are Jessica Mason-Piclo, executive editor of of Rewire News Group and co-host of the Boom Lawyered podcast. We also have joining us from Denver, Aurea Bolaños Perea of Color Latina and Karen Middleton, president of Cobalt Advocates in the studio as well. We have... KGNU Newsroom intern, Alyssa Palazzo. We are taking your calls. If you have any calls for us or any questions for us, the number is 303-442-4242. Or if calling in isn't your thing, I'm also watching the inbox of the in-studio computer. The, the address is dj at kgnu.org. I am wondering also just uh, there was, I, I remember hearing a news item I believe it was from Washington State, where there were state plans to kind of build up a, a store of Mifepristone ahead of this ruling or anticipation of this ruling. But again, Karen, as you just mentioned, there are there's an influx of people coming in from other states. Logistically, how realistic is it to build up a store of Mifepristone when there's such a high demand coming in from outside of the state?
2: Jessica, you may be able to answer this better than me, but um, first of all, Washington is purchasing it at the state level, as I understand, and we are—we uh, have a constitutional barrier to uh, state dollars being used to fund for abortion. So uh, theoretically, private clinics could store up. But uh, Jessica, you may be able to help me out here. Uh, if, if mifepristone is blocked, if you already have it in hand, can you keep using it?
1: I mean, that's that's an open question. And one of the things that these lawsuits are doing is really bringing the war on drugs mentality to the fight for healthcare access. And that's intentional. So one of the things that will happen, and we're already seeing this in places like Idaho, for example, that has passed legislation to make it illegal to transport a minor to get care. That's not just about blocking access to abortion, right? That's about blocking your right to travel, Um, So this is a whole myriad of constitutional offenses that are lining up against this. But to Karen's point, uh, there will be prosecutorial discretion. And so we will be looking um, to law enforcement, frankly, um, for uh, some guidance here, which is part of the reason why the Washington lawsuit happened, as Karen explained. Um, It was the first time, really, that we have seen reproductive rights and justice advocates use. Use the conservative playbook and say, "Fine, we have to battle on our own turf in the federal courts," and that's what they're doing. So we can talk about some of the legalities here. But you know, as Karen pointed out uh, earlier, this is a political fight that is being um, f- that is sort of being staged in the federal judiciary. But there's not a lot of law going on. Uh,
0: there oh. is, of course. Go ahead, Karen. Sorry, I was just going to say, and Aria,
2: you could respond to this better than me, but I also think that a political fight is being waged while people who can get pregnant are suffering the consequences and the harm that's being done across the spectrum of people um, who may be pregnant, parenting, or seeking an abortion are really really the victims here, and it's just traumatic.
3: Absolutely. I mean, the people that get impacted the most when law enforcement gets involved in making decisions are people of color, right? There was, um, there's this very, there's, there's a thread between the policing of bodies of color and controlling bodies of color that want access to reproductive freedoms. Yep. They are in the same circle. And when we are, you know, I see in California and in New York yesterday, that stockpiles of misoprostol, We're coming into pharmacies, you know, reproductive rights and justice advocates. We started to be like, that's not what we're asking for. We don't want you to stockpile a misoprostol. That shouldn't be the solution. Also, the language of like, oh, my gosh, what if Mifepristone runs out? That is also not the language because we're instilling fear in people that are already scared. Right. Young people that are like, whoa, what's going to happen now? How am I going to get access to a birth control, or just medication in general. And, you know, we are asking also to recognize that when the law enforcement gets involved, when the courts get involved, what other example do you need to recognize that they do not, they do not have our best intentions in mind, right? Because just as when the leak happened last year, and we saw a young woman from Texas that a nurse called the cops on, Right, to arrest her because she, the nurse assumed that, that that woman had had an abortion. She was having complications, right? She got arrested. Mm-hmm. Then we see that law enforcement will continue to criminalize bodies of color because, just as we've seen in Texas, a child showed jaundice and they took the child away from her parents, right? Like, who gets to decide? that it's clearly not the parents, it's clearly not the young people, it's clearly not people of color that have lived in a country that deems them unworthy of making their own decisions by themselves.
1: And if I could just add on to that, the fear is part of the strategy and the point. Creating chaos has a chilling effect. It prevents people from accessing care that they need, uh, that they have a right to, that they are entitled to seek. Um, And this is absolutely part of the conservative plan to sow chaos while they're doing real actual harm to people as well.
0: Fear is a control mechanism. Aurea, I wanted to go back to you as somebody who works on multi-issues, saying that there is no one single issue to achieving full rights. Uh, as Jessica was talking about the, the parallels to the drug war, I'm also thinking about parallels to the the fight for immigration reform right so being able to exist within this space and take full advantages of the fact of the of the rights that most people would assume are available to all in society and not only that but the political fight like Karen had mentioned where it's politics and there's this kicking of the can down the road over decades and it's something that the the immigration rights community fully understands and has seen and lived in their own families and in their own lives. But now it's transferring to a full half of the population where women are having to deal with this as well. At what point does it stop? And at what point can real actionable um, mechanisms take place to to say, the, this is the line and here's where it stops? Right.
3: I mean, that's why it's important to remember what we mean by reproductive justice. Right. It means that we're looking at the intersections of what makes a a person that for them to be able to live safe, healthy and self-determined lives, regardless of who you are, regardless of where you come from. And just to put it into context for listeners, it wasn't until 2021 where undocumented people were able to access up to one year birth control. 2021, right? And that was by SB9, the reproductive health care program, which was a bill led by Colour. It took an organization like ourselves to look and know because we know somebody that's undocumented and we know somebody that's needed birth control. And we had to argue that undocumented people needed access to birth control. Well, and that's why it's not just about the politics, right? It's about the dehumanization of a person in that moment, because you are saying that based on your documentation status, you are not worthy of something that is a right and not a privilege. Well, at this point, you know, in 2023, it pretty much looks like access to reproductive health is just a privilege, depending on who you are. So you know, with colors work there is, it's unfortunate that I cannot give an answer. I cannot tell you where the where the buck stops, because clearly the courts and politicians and different structures of government and institutions have demonstrated that they're willing to override the rules. They're willing to harm people for their benefit and the which is, you know, to give hope to some people. It is why color is still here. Right. And while there's still a person that it needs access to reproductive health care to prepare themselves to start a family whenever they're ready, or to advocate for an undocumented person that should not be shamed when they walked into a hospital because they're sick, right? Um, that's why That's why we're still here. But we. I also recognize that it has been, for the immigrant community, decades of policy work, decades of organizing, decades of advocacy just to be seen As full people. And I remember moving to this country when I was 13 with just my mom and thinking that, hey, it was like a trip, right? Like when I get here, I speak English. Like I'm a good student. Like I'm going to assimilate. Great. And the moment somebody heard my accent, the moment somebody saw my name, done. It was done. They already had a preconceived notion of me. When I wanted access to different opportunities, there was a preconceived idea of me. And I recognize my place of privilege because of what I look like, what I sound like, what I do. And yet I have never been enough in this country. I have never been enough. And in this work, it only becomes more stark and more real that pregnant people, people of color, young people have to fight to be seen as full human and for their experiences to become valid in the in state of law. And I, as much as I say how much we're kind of failing in like the courts are failing us and our, our like our reps that are trying to hold us back could fail us. My hope is placed on young people. My hope is placed on advocates. My hope is placed on folks that are trying to make sense of what's going on. Because I know that without us, without this community care, that there's a reason why people turn to cobalt. There's a people to people uh, there's a reason people turn to Rewired News. Mm-hmm. There's a reason people turn to Color in these moments because they trust us, they know we have their um, their needs in mind. And this is just a long answer to say, keep believing in us. We're tired but we're showing up, we're tired, but this fight is gonna rage on. Uh, just like send money to Cobalt and send money to all, you know, give us coffee so we can make it for uh, for the next four days, okay?
0: We are at the top of the hour. I need to give a, a station ID. You are listening to KGNU FM 88.5 Boulder, KGNU 1390 Denver. And we are taking your calls at 303-442-4242. We're also taking your questions via email at dj.kgnu.org. At On the panel with me today, I have... Karen Middleton of Cobalt Advocates, Aurea Bolaños-Perea of Color Latina, and Jessica Mason-Piclo of Rewire News Group. I also have Alyssa Palazzo in the studio with me today. And as Aurea just said, that young people basically are going to have to take this fight. How are you preparing for that?
4: <laughs> um, I think, <laughs> how can you really prepare, right? I think it goes back to, like Aurea was saying, the idea that you know it's it's dehumanizing and it's how do you how do you face something when people aren't respecting you and seeing you as a whole person who is can make their own choices and can you know have access to as we were talking about things that are a right um and like I was saying like things are a privilege and I think that are, that are a right but have become a privilege um like access to healthcare and you know I think that it's It's tough because I think in times like this, it's really you just have to have or try to have a strong support system around you um, because the fight, you know, isn't going to be an easy one. And to be, you know, with other women who recognize you as a whole human um, is going to be really important during this, you know, very trying these trying times that we've been experiencing far too often.
0: And we were having a discussion this morning of... Alyssa does the the headlines, prepares the headlines on Wednesday, and there was a headline about Jared Polis gutting some of the key measures for gun safety that have passed mm-hmm. the legislature. And I'm wondering, you know, how much do you see of a parallel? We talked about the parallel with the, the fight for immigration rights, but also with gun rights, things that affect young people the most and just seeing them just disregarded as if they're kind of extras rather than the right to be able to attend school without fear of being shot,
4: should be a no-brainer right and it, it is it's very disheartening to feel like our safety comes second to weapons and our health comes second to these you know conservative or religious beliefs um of some people and it is very it is it's frustrating and infuriating and it feels you know it feels like just a punch in the gut of, oh, OK, here we were going to make changes that may help so that you can attend school, this place of learning and growth without having to fear for your life. Oh, just kidding. We're not going to do that anymore. Um, and it it is it's, it's challenging. It's it's again, you're, how do you prepare for that? You I I don't know, you know. And it's it's definitely an emotional whirlwind to have all of this coming at us from all angles while we're trying to still figure out who we are, you know, and grow up and, you know, learn and figure out what we want to do for a living. And it's like all of these other things that we're thinking about that we shouldn't have to think about.
0: I'm wondering, I mean, you're a senior at, mm-hmm. at CU Boulder. I'm wondering, are your peers deciding where they move based
4: on what rights they may or may not have in a physical location? Yes, I I do know of some friends, a lot of my friends do want to stay in Colorado because we do have, you know, more rights here, which is just a horrible thing that we can't say that in every every state in this country in 2023. And especially even, you know, going back to the gun safety, it's where are we going to start and where are we going to raise families? Um, Because, you know, where are we going to send our kids to school where they feel safe? And it's if there's not unfortunately there's not very many options in this country for that right now well i want to go back to something that that jessica had said about how this isn't
0: just reproductive rights or a political right but it's also just basic the right to be able to travel yeah, the right to privacy yeah. and i'm wondering about the right to speech because it comes to a time where for example you go back to the drug war analogy Marijuana, recreational marijuana, is legal in Colorado, but we are on the federal airwaves here. So, for example, we cannot take advantage of the support that the marijuana industry is giving to media. Like if you pick yeah. up a copy of some print media, it's pretty apparent the support that the <laughs> marijuana industry throws towards print media. We mm-hmm. cannot have underwriting on the federal airwaves from 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 marijuana industries. I'm also wondering at what point will we have uh, restrictions on the right to speech to be able to talk about here's how you can circumvent a state law to access reproductive care in another state.
1: Americans United for Life is already working on that. There's model legislation that's proposed that would block internet access to uh, scientific, truth-based information about reproductive health care. We've seen that come out in Texas. Target specific organizations Organizations as well that offer information about abortion pills. So your question about you know is there a broad base of censorship uh, coming under the guise of um, a free speech? fight, it's already here. Um, and I think the question about the ways in which our rights are interwoven is a really good analogy to the ways in which we as humans and the conversations that we've been having on this call are full selves, right? Like, Just like we don't only have the right to an abortion, um, we have, a, as the court likes to say, a panoply of rights um, in that. Just like we are full people who need access to not just abortion care, but contraception healthcare generally child care safe schools right so um, these are all interconnected Fights, um, to say the least. And when the Supreme Court pulled the thread in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health and so critically undermined a federal constitutional right, we are now starting to see that tapestry unravel across the states. And that's by design. That's by design.
2: I think about book bans. Yes. um, And I think about blocking access to sex education and how many young people are arriving on college campuses without having uh, the facts about sex education and how one gets pregnant and preventing STIs and everything in between. And, you know, you think about the interconnectedness of this um, and what a lifeline access to written material is, for example, Um, and then you think about these state bans, we cannot advertise, we'll pay for your abortion in the states where there are bans, yeah. but I can speak on the uh, on media channels. So I can do an interview with the Texas newspaper, but I can't pay for digital ads to say, come here, we'll pay for your abortion and it's safe. And the, that level of restriction, um, you think about uh, non, you know, It's really a threat to democracy overall um, when you see our right to free speech and free information, the role of libraries and how fundamental and the right to free media. All of that has really come under attack in these times.
1: And just to build on what Karen says, this has a real human impact, too, because when people don't have access to that information, they will it alters their choices or it puts them into pipelines that are maybe not safe. Um, that maybe expose them to law enforcement or surveillance and pipelines them into a criminal justice system simply by not having access to safe, reliable information that they should have. And of course, this is going on at the same time that uh, conservatives are trying to broaden Speech rights in other areas, right? You know, uh, so-called crisis pregnancy centers get a lot of support and can say a lot of things, even though most consumer protection laws should say, "Ah, ah, ah, that's fraud. But we have a Supreme Court case that says, ah, you know, it's a little different. So, and not just the the
0: free speech rights when it comes to crisis pregnancy centers i'm also wondering what is its role what are their roles in surveillance mm. somebody comes in looking for help looking for information does that flag the person for surveillance
1: uh yeah and i mean we have uh, there is data that shows you know whether or not they were intending to or not you know Google was geocaching folks into you um, you know, areas, or if folks are, tar- are looking and searching online, where can I get an abortion? The search will immediately pull up clinics that don't provide those services. Um, and we know that there's follow up uh, when they do visit those places. So absolutely, they're, they play a critically uh, terrifying, in my opinion, a part of the overall surveillance state that's establishing right now around people accessing healthcare.
3: If I could chime in right on the about surveillance, about deceptive practices. I mean, just this legislative season, Colore and our partners at New Era Colorado led this uh, Senate Bill One Ninety, which is exactly about uh, prohibiting deceptive practices from anti-abortion centers or you know fake clinics, crisis pregnancy centers. Because we know that since we saw that since SBA got enacted and after Roe was overturned, the communications tactics from these anti-abortion centers and these like quote-unquote pro-life groups saying pregnant and alone call us considering abortion know about all your options and they were targeting rural areas low-income areas Mm spanish-speaking communities i mean the amount of ads that we have seen in spanish only in specific districts of colorado that have a large latino population was uh, I'm honestly alarming for all of us. We had seen them, but to see the impacts, the detrimental impacts to our well-being and our health in years to come, they saw that opportunity. And with SB-190, which is one of the bills from the Safe Access to Protected Health Care Package that will be signed by the governor soon, it prohibits the use of deceptive advertisement by anti-abortion centers and also makes it unprofessional to provide, prescribe, and administer or attempt Abortion pill reversal for licensed, registered, certified healthcare professionals. Because a lot of people, when you're seeking care, and we were just talking about geocaching, right? You Google abortion centers near me. You Google, you know, abortion and other options. Some of the first options that come up to you in Google and Bing and Yahoo are fake pregnancy mm-hmm. centers. They're fake clinics, and it's because they're putting millions of dollars in advertising to make sure that they are the top of your Google search. And if you're like any of us in this call, the first three things that come up to you're probably the only ones you're going to look at, because there's like 17 pages to go through, you're not going to go through 17 pages of a search, you're just going to see the top five and make a decision. And we know that when it comes to free speech, right, you can, sure, you can lie to, to a friend, you can lie to a colleague, but lying and deceiving somebody is not protected, especially when it comes to your health care. Because we just had, and I'll share the story quickly, during our Latino Advocacy Day, that was about three weeks ago, that Color and our partner at Bolsas Unidas lead, we hosted a breakout about reproductive justice and lobbying and advocating for reproductive justice. And one of the participants in that breakout was experiencing a miscarriage. And they didn't know that's what they were going through because they stepped into one of these anti abortion centers and said, They said, Oh, you're just having like an abnormal period. Like, don't worry about it. Here, take some medication. so take some Tylenol, and you'll be good. She thought she actually went to a doctor that gave her an examination and they said, You're just having an abnormal period. Some bleeding is regular during this time. She, one, didn't know she was pregnant, and two, didn't know she was having a miscarriage. And she was bleeding as she was talking to our team. If we didn't, if she didn't come to talk to us, and we didn't refer her to our partners at Planned Parenthood so they could see her immediately, because she didn't look good, that young woman could have died. Her health was in her, she could have died because of the deceptive practices that these places face. Mm-hmm. And that is why it was imperative that Color did something in this because it is our, like we said, the policing of bodies, the harm of bodies, the decades of public health crises that we're going to be facing, that, that is what is at stake. A young woman walking to us and saying, I thought that's where I went, why was I not told?" Why did nobody really see me? Why am I figuring this out now? From, and, it, and we're like, exactly. You sh- it shouldn't have come to this. It, and even in Colorado, that is happening. So, right, when we talk about legality, it's also about protecting. It is also about ensuring that people are educated because it was not her fault, mm-hmm. right? For anybody that tries and twists this, it is not that young person's fault because she deserved the right to Google, hey, I'm experiencing some symptoms and here's a clinic that could probably see me today cuz i'm scared and then it turned out to be not a clinic that wanted to help her
0: so aurea i want to ask you you had mentioned also about how disinformation is is proliferating in spanish and this isn't something that we've only seen when it comes to reproductive rights. But it's also there were big disinformation campaigns in Spanish during the vaccination campaign for for COVID-19 vaccines and during the election. So why do you have any idea of who is financing these disinformation campaigns and what their greater aim is? Absolutely. Uh- Absolutely. Who's the, remind me y'all, who's the one that
3: sent the anti-trans mailer to CD8, Uh, American first, the Steve, uh, my God, I'm I'm blanking on his name, but literally the co-conspirator of anti-immigration laws is the same firm that is funding anti-trans mailers that got sent to CD8 last year in Spanish, completely targeting... Uh, gender affirming care targeting young children, and it was just in Spanish. We didn't see that mailer was semi-translated in English, but the mailer was in Spanish, right? And you know, we are, we know that non-English com- non-English speaking community. Stephen Miller, thank yes. you, Karen. Uh, Non-English speaking communities are being targeted because they are the backbone of this country. What is capitalism, what is social uh, quota without reproduction, Mm -hmm. without social labor, without people of color continuing to work meager wages to support what gets put on the tables of a lot of people. And putting it like that may leave a bad taste in people's mouth, but that is exactly what the labor community looks like, people of color for decades. And so why? Because if if we become free... If people of color, young women, indigenous people, if we become free, what is the rest of the world gonna do, right? When our true liberation is achieved, how how are we gonna, how, the people are trying to control us, they're gonna lose their minds. And so this is completely policies to control us. In Spanish media, we also know it is consumed by a specific demographic, right? The millions of dollars that gets perpetuated in radio, in billboards, in news, in TV, we know it because Colour, we have a Spanish radio show. And the calls that we get, the questions that we get asked in the air, we're like, whoa, where did you hear that? And they're like, well, there was this ad in this radio radio station, or I saw this billboard when driving home. And you're like, oh, it's because they're targeting you. Because without you, there's no food. Because without you, there's no labor force. Mm -hmm. That's why. Social reproduction is a—it's a huge issue to have to untangle in you know, three minutes that I said I was going to keep it short, but it is a huge issue that we're facing today.
2: And I just want to piggyback on that to say it's also um, Black Maternal Health Week, yeah. um, which really uh, one of the the heart of the issue with Black Maternal Health Week is. Uh, women not being believed, um, you know, if they're experiencing challenges. And so the example that Aria gave of uh, a young person not realizing she was experiencing miscarriage, the number of high-profile cases and everyday cases of uh, women dying in childbirth, of women not accessing care, um, Black women are um, particularly vulnerable to some of these challenges and it just adds to the complexity and really some of the abuses we're seeing across the spectrum. So I just wanted to make sure we noted that
1: And just to really put a finer point on that, following the Dobbs decision, there was research that came out that showed the immediate impact of abortion bans in this country results in a 33 percent higher increase of black maternal mortality rates than it does across the spectrum. So black women die at higher rates than anybody else because of all of the reasons that we have talked about related to surveillance, abortion bans not being believed, being targeted into other places. Um, yeah.
0: And it's not just, and, and, and it isn't a class issue either. There's evidence that shows that yeah. women with, that black women with postgraduate degrees are at greater risk than white women who were high school dropouts. Yeah, it's just the racism. and And the medical schools <laughs> continuing to, there's this myth about pain tolerance as well listeners, we are in the final minutes of this program. You can give us a call. You have any questions, any burning questions. We have three experts here willing to take your questions. The number is 303-442-4242. Or you can send me an email at, DJ at KGNU.org and I can read the question on the air. Our guest, we have Karen Middleton, president of Cobalt Advocates, Aurea Bolanos Perea of the Colorado Organization for Latina Opportunity and Reproductive Rights and Jessica Mason Piclo, executive editor of Rewire News Group. Well, where do we go from here? Where, where, in light of this ruling, that it may or may not take effect on Friday, day after tomorrow, how are things looking and? what should be what should we be watching for on Friday.
1: The first thing I want folks to understand is that nothing has changed with regard to medication abortion access immediately. Um, It is still particularly in in Colorado available. And I want to give an opportunity to really highlight the work of the uh, coalition here in Colorado in not just this legislative session, but legislative session after legislative session after legislative session. And I'm looking specifically on the Zoom because I want them to see it the the work that has been done in this state is should be frankly modeled across the country in terms of the ways to actually build coalitions and proactively understand the opposition the fight that's at hand and to legislate accordingly not only does colorado protect Um, uh, contraception access, but it has affirmatively rejected the idea of fetal personhood, which maybe sounds wild to folks, but I need them to understand that the decision out of Texas was absolutely about trying to create a Federal fetal personhood idea, the idea of life beginning at conception and the 14th Amendment recognizing that, which would threaten not just abortion rights in places that have protected it, but further um, just a, a whole array of, of problems that come up from that So we start first by looking To the leaders in places that are really Getting it done and Colorado is A shining star so much Because of the work of Karen and Aurora like that is just The truth um, and then we also Look to the young folks you know there was a Really interesting election that happened in Wisconsin recently an Off season one seat Supreme state supreme court race That blew conservatives Out of the water more money was poured into the Wisconsin State Supreme Court race than any judicial election, in the history of this country anywhere for one seat. And why was that? Because young folks, everybody understood that it was a big race, but in particular, young folks were picking up that there is a direct link between the health of our democracy and what is going on in the policing and banning of bodies right now. They are one in the same. We do not have a healthy democracy unless everyone can participate in it. What do these attacks do? they diminished participation. What happened? Young folks turned out in droves. So. So
0: Alyssa, how are you seeing voter registration and and voter participation within your peer group?
4: I am not seeing as much turnout as I probably would have hoped Um, for. I think that a lot of people are um, uninformed about when elections are happening. Um, how they can contribute to the democracy, and I think that people are, are scared to participate because of, you know, the lack of information that they feel that they have. Um, and yeah, I, I just think that I would love to, for more young people to come out in droves here in Colorado, um, but I'm not seeing that quite yet.
0: Well, we do have a message that came in. It's not necessarily a question, but Joan says when I was on the board of Planned Parenthood in Pennsylvania when Roe was passed, we were jubilant then. The fight goes on to reinstate federal protection for all women to choice. Thank all the women on the pa- I thank all the women on the panel for their hard work and voices for reproductive rights. That's from Joan. You have the opportunity in our final minutes to send a message as well. If you so choose, it's DJ at KGNU.org or squeeze one question in under the line at 303-442-4242. And this is Karen, and I just want to both thank Joan for her comment and also
2: say that I think reminding folks of Colorado's history of our work on, on the right to abortion um, is It doesn't look like some of the other states around us. It's one reason why I think we can be a model. When we decriminalized abortion back in 1967, the first state, I I always remind people of this because it was bipartisan and that consistently we have people across our state, regardless of their political affiliation, who believe that abortion rights are both fundamental and should not be interfered by government. Now, we doesn't mean everyone has access or the information or the resources to pay for it or know how to get the care or even realize that they can access the care, but legally the framework has been there. And the government out of my business frame has been truly a Western value, which we think we saw in Kansas as well. And so just always reminding people that uh, this is we've got a long, strong history and that I think we can go even further in protecting care and protecting the right to make the decision. The fundamental right means you can decide whether or whether not to access an abortion without the government telling you. And I just think that that that's kind of the basic principle in our state that we've really tried to build on through our proactive work.
1: And if I could just add on that, a reminder, as we've heard time and time again on this call, row is never enough. So we really have the opportunity to build something new, something better. And yes, it will take work, um, but there was work when we had Roe. And so, you know, truly, this is an opportunity to create the kind of access uh, to care and understanding of people's humanity that had been lacking before.
0: Well, we are in our final two minutes. I want to remind people that we have had three guests with us today. Jessica Mason-Piclo, executive editor of Rewire News Group. And from Denver, Aurea Bolaños-Perea of Color Latina. And Karen Middleton, president of Cobalt Advocates. Any final thoughts in our last two minutes? You know, I would like to say
3: that in these moments where we feel tired and sometimes hopeless by seeing what's happening in this country, young people are really carrying the torch for us. You know, we we have looked at the past decades of work. And if there's something I see in Wisconsin or that I see in Tennessee, that I see here in Colorado, is that young people are turning out and we need to stop telling them that just voting is gonna change everything, right? These young people need to run for office. These young people need to be in leadership positions because they have been tasked with surviving in some of the most awful of circumstances in the past five years. And yet I still see that fire in them. And I just cannot thank the next generation enough for paying attention for to what's happening and supporting us in this movement. So this is my shout out to anybody that's listening is feeling like, dang, I don't know where to turn. Look at young people. Young people are using their methods to their best and they're gonna save us. Now we're gonna thank them in three years time for how they showed up for us across the country.
0: And given the head nods that I see (laughs) as you're speaking, Aurea Bolaños Perea, we're just going to leave it at that. That's going to be our closing statement. I want to thank all three of my guests today, Karen Middleton, President of Cobalt Advocates, Aurea Bolaños Perea of Color Latina, and Jessica Mason-Piclo of Rewired News Group. Thank you so much for making time this morning.
1: Thanks so much for having us.
0: And thank you to Alyssa Palazzo. You You are listening (laughs) to KGNU-FM 88.5 Boulder, KGNU 1390 Denver. Stay tuned for The Morning Sound Alternative.